Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Franco-Prussian War of Extreme Metal Podcasting. Once again, I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Seth Putnam, Vengeful Wraith. <laughs> and, and I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Dark Spirit Nicholas Cage has invaded your world. <laughs> oh man, you know that he'd be nude with a big sword. <laughs> That's the only way he would play. He's he's basically just I can solo her in real yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. Nick, Nick Cage fast rolling all over the place. <laughs> so. Yeah, I uh, I really like the idea mm. of uh, Seth Putnam Vengeful Wraith as like like a like a four issue mini series on Image Comics. And it's just, it's just him screaming incoherently and like throwing garbage cans with incredible strength at the villains, you know. Yeah, it's sort of like it's sort of like the crow, but um, the crow but way cooler. Yes, as, as Seth Putnam would put it, the crow but not gay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. The crow is a cool movie, but it was kind of it's a cool movie, and the sort of the sort of uh, human sacrifice element of it does make it, you know, does give it some added gravity that it really wouldn't have otherwise. But I found that the action parts of The Crow were very disappointing. The action is not great, which is weird no. because it, it... Yeah, you know, when it comes to The Crow, you would think that with the people involved in that movie, you know, the, the fight choreography would be a highlight, but it's really not. But I think that it has a lot to do with... They're really committing to the idea of it being this kind of spooky neo-noir thing. It's all it's all mood lighting and close-up shots, and they're trying to preserve that in the fight choreography. But obviously, that's not the way you want to shoot fights. You know, you want to shoot those with wide angles, good lighting, etc. Yeah, I feel that. And I think they just prioritize, in terms of like the actual volume of the movie, they're just prioritizing the atmospheric and emotional stuff. You know, it's... Uh, you know, another thing with that movie, like from a metal perspective, is it's a great example of 90s edge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very that is like, coat. <laughs> well, no, well, it, it is, but it isn't, right? That's the thing. It's sort of like 90s mainstream edge. It's like... It seems really, right? So it seems like, oh, the crow is this gritty anti-hero, right? He doesn't just like, he doesn't just like put the baddies in jail. He like tor he like terrifies and murders them, right? <laughs> but like, underneath that, there's just this like, uh, like a really schmaltzy love story. And don't, don't get me wrong, like, if you buy in, right, if you buy in, of course, that's, like, really sad, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and shit like that really does happen to people, right? Their, their loved ones are killed by thugs and shit like that. That's, that, that's bad. But, like, uh, there was a kind of, um, every other aspect of the movie is a kind of, um, he could be a Christian youth group leader, captain of the football team. And, like, the bad guys are, like, the bad goths. It's like he has to go to war against Pete Steele. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it possible that the crow is Heathers for young men instead of young women? I've never seen Heathers, but that seems like a, maybe a good... It's like oh, the it, gender equivalent of, like, 90s Edge, early 90s Edge, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> another, another good... Yeah. 
Another good example of that kind of 90s edge would be like Transmetropolitan. Or you see, I've never seen that one. So It's a comic, yeah. It's okay, a, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's check it out. So, so there you go, guys. Uh, we're, we're not talking about metal anymore. We're just talking about early 90s film. Uh, <laughs> but, yes, we're back once again with a, another installment of Terminus, the only extreme metal podcast that matters. Uh, today's going to be an interesting episode. Uh, we've got a couple records uh, that we're going to talk about that are sort of like Brutal Death records, but but not after a fashion. They have more appeal to our, our usual listener base. Um, so obviously, uh, housekeeping at the top of the hour. Uh, follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And uh, if you are particularly dedicated, you can join us on Patreon. $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our uh, private Discord server where, yeah, we are, as usual, just back to anime memes and talking about black metal. Um, we're going to get rolling uh, right off the top with the Odd Man Out record that I wanted to do a little, uh, a little mini review of. So this was a totally random thing that got recommended to me by the uh, YouTube algorithm, or probably my subscription to Mao de Gloria, which uh, tends to have, even if it's not all to my taste, uh, it, it tends to have a very well-curated selection of new releases. Mm-hmm. Um, so today I want to talk about a record by a band called Utan for Scop. Uh, the record is called uh, For La Telse. Uh, and this came out uh, right at the beginning of the year, like first week of January. So as a little bit of background, I had to do a little research on this just because it's kind of curious. So this is a Russian one-man project by a guy named Lord Roshnok, who releases a lot of music under different names, and it's primarily not metal. Um, but it's a lot of stuff that's kind of adjacent to metal. Uh, he's done. He did a record that is really surprisingly good, sort of, uh, burly, uh, screamo, post-hardcore stuff. Hmm. He's done some kind of instrumental Memphis-style hip-hop material, hmm. and he's done some synth- feet feet kicked a rock. <laughs> it, I, I assume this guy listens to a lot. Of yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, he's done some stuff that's uh, like old-school synth ambient, not like dungeon synth, more like the older stuff that you would hear on black metal records where you can still hear the Tangerine Dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, this is a guy who I don't think is centered uh, on black metal, but he likes a lot of stuff associated with it, and he at least finds black metal um, aesthetically interesting. And Utan for Scop is kind of his black metal project, I guess. And unsurprisingly, it's not exactly black metal. It's more like a post-black thing. But it's really well executed. And I think it's because this guy um, just sees this as another, as an exaggerated aspect of the core things that he's interested in musically that happens Mm -hmm. to be sort of post-black. He's not Mm -hmm. a guy really deliberately reaching to make black metal. Uh, he's not well, a... I mean, he's got corpse paint on the cover. Well, yeah, but he's, yeah. he's like, embodying the aesthetic. He knows what he's doing on this I, I Okay, yeah, I, I get what you mean, though, right? It's not, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he, he's interested in it. He's interested in it for its own reasons. It's not primarily about just copying this aesthetic. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he seems to like all of his music is kind of revolving around the same general like themes and moods, and I think he just sees black metal as like one possible way to access that. Um, but I really like this record just because uh, it's also not a black metal guy trying to shoehorn in post rock and black gays. Uh, this is probably a younger guy who probably came up as post black and black gays type stuff was just like an already established fact of the metal scene. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, it's disengaged from black metal tradition uh, when he plays it. And that's probably a good thing. It probably should just be played as itself rather than as a hodgepodge of second wave and explosions in the sky ideas. Um, and what it really ends up sounding like um, surprise, not surprise is like 2000s DSBM a lot of the time, which as mm-hmm, we talked mm-hmm. about on the show, the DSBM guys were basically on the cutting edge in terms of the metal scene for actually listening to goth and post-punk and dark wave right. and all this kind right. of music. Uh, so just yeah. to give an idea of what's going on, I'll just go to my first sample. Uh, I think all the song titles are in French on this one. En uh, Devorant, is, is that yeah. how it would go? Yeah, yeah. I'm getting there. I'm learning to just do the offensive Yeah. Okay. So this is a quote-unquote post-black song that's really structured like a goth rock song. Um, And it's really interesting because I think this sort of – I think if you listen to this, you'll hear a guy who is in some sense fulfilling the promise of Mm post-black, of what it should actually be, which Mm -hmm. is – not really black metal, but using those aesthetic ideas and those timbres to uh, to adjust the general effect of something like post-punk. like um how weirdly this is shaped that whole song is basically a one or two riff song Mm -hmm. the main riffing instrument is the bass and the guitars are mostly textural 
and I like that it's built around this really lopsided sort of like drunken waltz type rhythmic figure, which is basically just through the entire song. Apart from a few transitions, we're just sticking with that weird swaying rhythm. Um, and I think that's kind of a cool callback to the, the sort of like weird early industrial roots that you see peppered throughout a lot of post-punk stuff mm-hmm, and by mm-hmm. extension into yep. the follow-up genres of stuff like post-rock and shoegaze and shit like that. So I, I guess my idea for this record is I like the fact that this guy, it, it's like you're, it's it's one of those memes. You're the crying guy asking him, so all that you took away from black metal was like scratchy production and weird timbres and certain melodic ideas? And he's the Chad that says Yes. He's just he's just doing sort of post-punk style music, but he finds those timbres and those textures really interesting. And he thinks, oh, there's a, a cool way to modify the general mood of this style by applying this other aesthetic overlay. And he does it very openly. It doesn't feel like he's trying to trick you into thinking this is a black metal proper record. Yeah, yeah, I like this. I think it's I think you're absolutely right that the best sort of stuff that could be called post-black is has more to do with shoegaze than post-rock and uh, probably understands shoegaze as a kind of goth music, which mm-hmm. is correct. Uh, and um, and also is embraces the structures and melodic conventions that exist in those genres. Like we've talked before about when bands try to introduce goth influence, you know, mm-hmm. a recurring thing for, theme for me is they don't understand what makes goth good, which yeah. is often a kind of um a kind of melodic richness coming from the bass and vocals that black metal bands just don't yeah yeah people groping their way toward that sound don't understand yeah Um, it centers around a totally different set of musical priorities yes um and and so this really gets that right i think um uh, it's pretty, I really like, yeah, it's like a two riff song based on a single rhythm. You could say it's like a drunken waltz, but the funny thing is it's, it's what he's, how he's articulating it that gives it a three, four feel. I think that's just a four, four, like just a, it's like almost a, um, it's like a cruelly unsyncopated kind of breakdown dung da 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 dung 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 da 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 dung 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 two three four um and it's really close to like a screamo metalcore breakdown or like a poison the well breakdown oh yeah dung 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 or you know or in a in a more triple based figure you know that kind of like thing that a lot of these bands would do da dong dong da dong dong da dong dong da dong dong. Planes mistaken for stars. Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's close to the Graveland rhythm, but yeah. like different, <laughs> different emphasis. Um, uh, but like the um, I like that. I certainly hear the industrial thing in that, right? I don't know if that's on a drum. It's probably on a drum machine, right? Uh, yeah, uh, I believe it's a drum yeah. machine. Um, you could bring that out more, and I think it would be cool. Uh. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think the only weak point there was the guitar solo where he sounded um a little bit lost. Uh, oh, I I like the sort of like pointillistic. Oh, I don't mind the actual pointillistic tapping. I think it's more the way it sort of trails off in weird ways. Uh, um, but that could just use I I don't know. Like that's not a make or break thing. Yeah, I get um, you. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it strikes me as more the sort of figure you would actually hear, like 
like in terms of lead guitar, like when we talked about that fucking uh, uh, that Hibernoid record, it's it's almost like the sort of thing I would expect in that. No, no, it is. I just don't think it's executed very well because you still like like I think he could almost focus more on the timbre. I I, mm. I mean the things he does that are closest to a metal solo, like trying to find his way to new notes half improvised, are the unsuccessful parts. Uh. If he just did like post-punk tremolo uh, sort of sound fuckery, it might, or had a more planned out lead melody in the style of Joy Division or something, it might sound better. I um, gotcha. I, yeah, I can see what you're yeah, saying there. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. And, you know, this week I went back and listened to Conquerors by Life Lover and also um, Erotic. Uh, mm-hmm. Damn good shit. And yeah, great example. Like, those bands were way early on all the things that later got copped by the quote-unquote post bands. And this this sits very well, although this has the... Surf- I would pass over this because of the surface aesthetic, which is very modern, raw tape, black, or as a friend calls them, border bands. The mm, bands with yeah. the fancy borders. This sits way closer to Life Lover or something like that than any of these, than a lot of these other modern bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, th- I think we're both in agreement that, like, of that wave of mm-hmm. kind of bands doing, you know, black metal meets art rock or post-punk, you know, Life Lover is probably, you know, top three ever. Absolutely, yeah, yeah absolutely. not the absolute best. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're going to go all the way to the end of the record where this guy sort of uh, whips out the big, like, 2000s 10-minute crawling DSBM song. Um, and it's really cool because this guy really understands the secondary influences of DSBM, like we were talking about earlier. And I think that, like, as we've talked more and more on the show, I've started to think that, you know, the actual... Um, the actual musical DNA of DSBM has much more shoegaze and post-punk in it than I anticipated. Like, there's ways mm-hmm. to get there purely through black metal, but I think mm-hmm. the vast majority of them were just incorporating goth stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever really appreciated that before because I just haven't listened to that much goth rock. But now when this guy approaches a DSBM song from inside... Uh, of those secondary influences, mm-hmm. uh, you get something really different that that leans into a lot of the features of early DSBM that have been forgotten, like uh, sort of a, a weird sense of major key melody, uh, mm-hmm. this uh, a, a weird sense of groove that you'll actually hear in a lot of old DSBM, really feeling the rock and roll that lives inside mm-hmm. of that style, and mm-hmm. just sort of rich individual instrumental timbres where the minimalism isn't just to make it stark, it's so you can really soak in every individual tone. Um, So this is a song called Epines, and uh, I, I just think it's really excellent.
the times, uh, a lot of times on the show, I've I've mentioned something akin to uh, CDR DSBM from the two thousands. And if you guys want to know what it sounds like, it sounds like that exactly. Um, back around 05 to 07, there were tons of one man projects just putting out little CDR demos of like mm-hmm. slow, minimal, very tortured and sad sounding DSBM. I love it to death. I never started to think it was corny or anything like most people did. I always just thought it was awesome. And it's really crazy to hear that come back from a guy who's not even operating from like within DSBM traditionally, like not in the sense that we understood it anyway, but there he's pulled it off. He, you know, it's, that's a really cool set of very simple melodic phrases that have little surprises to them. Uh, It's still in keeping with the melodic tradition, but it has its own voice. And I just think it's really good. Yeah. That's, I I liked that one a lot too. Um, The, uh, that first more kind of um, more elaborate sort of, uh, rhythmically not staggering because it's it's a powerful figure but it's sort of like deliberately sort of, you know what i mean it takes like this lurching step yeah right? he's doing that he's doing, the, he's doing yeah. the three against five pattern all the time it's like a three against five and then it's a five against three so it sways in and then it, it hits out. heavy and he's like hitting heavy before where you'd expect the beat to fall yeah three good that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. okay yeah so he's subdividing eight eight measures in this weird way uh um, that kind of like lurching asymmetrical melody is, um, uh, that, that's, that's very cool. That sounds very much like a life lover thing. Um, but then the whole thing it goes into after that is much more like the kind of sprawling, trance inducing, uh, almost improvised stuff that you were really into back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you can and, see, you can hear the carved cross in this basically. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, that's probably one of the influences, right? Carved Cross is another band that is functionally DSBM, but exists in the world of Raw Tape Black. Um, yeah. The, uh, I think the stuff that was really abject was the stuff that was actually emo, basically. Or, like, actually post-rock in DSBM, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. I know that you enjoyed some of that stuff, and you have more time for those tones than I do, but I feel like... If there was a part of it that people were right to get tired of or, you know, whatever, maybe it was that. But, like, I don't think that... I think DSBM in general definitely had a lot of, um, I don't know, definitely had stylistic legs. And it's had a... In some way, the way it's disappeared is because it's absolutely everywhere now. Yeah, it just <laughs> black metal just turned into DSPM. We didn't need its parent anymore. Yeah, thank Migla. This is Josh from Defeated Sanity, and you're listening to Terminus Extreme Metal Podcast. All right. Uh, and after some um, idiosyncratic interruptions, we are back with Apotheosis by Day Inquisitor on Extremely Rotten Productions. So, De Inquisitor is a band I thought we hadn't covered before, but you reminded me that, in fact, we had. Um, it was uh, qu- quite a while back, and we did them with um, one song uh, paired with a pretty cool new band called Black Hole Deity at the beginning of the episode, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like back when we were figuring out our intro format and poking around with different stuff. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it probably would have been from, like... 
Yeah, I think it was from the Humanoid EP. Um, do you remember anything about how it sounded back then? Ex- just the barest outline. I remember it yeah. being like kind of old school and kind of mechanical at the same time in a cool way. Exactly. That's a very good way of putting it. It's like, yeah, so <coughs> Day Acquisitor is a Danish death metal band that is the, um, you know, some some circles have... There's an interesting way that circles work. So this is the interesting... This is the sort of really eccentric second band of a group of guys whose first band was uh, Bloodfest. Do you remember Bloodfest? Yeah, I think we specifically talked about that last time. Because yeah. I, I had a buddy that released one of the Bloodfest mm-hmm. records, so mm-hmm. I knew about them weirdly early yeah. just through that yeah. connection. So it's like, very cool band. One of those bands that back in the day I always was like didn't check out, didn't, like, download their stuff, because I, I kept being like, oh, I should buy those records. And then, of course, I just didn't listen to them enough. Um, but so a band that, you know, I respected from a distance. Um, lyrical themes on um, on Metal Archives are pretty cool. Heathenism, Viking virtues, ancient Danish kings. That's specific. <laughs> All right. So one cool thing about Bloodfest is that some of their records had very idiosyncratic album art. Um, or some of their graphics, uh, and, um, sort of like, uh, Hieronymus Bosch meets Grim Reaper type stuff, or, sorry, not Grim Reaper, what, Hieronymus Bosch meets, like, um, uh, fucking, uh, Edward Gorey type stuff. Okay. You know, um, like, sort of interesting, uh, black, sort of black and white, black and white art, um. And uh, that's carried over into Day Acquisitor, and it's maybe become more central. Uh, so the album covers already gave it a specific character. Uh, musically, Day Acquisitor is like, um, you could describe it as like third quarter immolation, but like trying. <laughs> you know how like immolation kind of got into that holding act where they like, in, in, the last two immolation records have been really good and distinctive. We covered the last one, but like, for a while, they did two or three records that were basically, like, blasting immolation, but, like, sort of, we don't really have any new ideas, but we don't really have any new ideas, but we have the dignity to make it hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, this is, so Day Acquisitor is, like, a more committed version of that idea by people who are more invested in fully exploring it. So it was bla- heavy blast wall death metal with strange otherworldly chords. You could describe it as responding to the orthodox and skronk stuff, but the chords were much denser, lower on the fretboard, and being used in a heavy and aggressive way instead of in this sort of, like, aimless, skittering, atmospheric way. Uh, Another way you could describe it would be music that is, like, portal, but, like, you can headbang to. Um, I can see that. It it was very deliberately one-dimensional, uh, and it was kind of, um, uh, it, it was, it was very deliberately one dimensional and it was kind of like, it was weirdly fun. The idea clearly was there was some sort of cackling manic energy to it. Um, the album covers were important. Their cover for, uh, what was the one, uh, Downfall of the Apostates, for instance, right? is i assume this one of the band members or a friend but it's you know this wacky sort of space fantasy cityscape that looks like you know a cartoon of unknown kadath um 
and it's it's not necessarily a healthy place for normies, but somebody's having a good time. You know what I mean? <laughs> it has this sort of darkly carnivalesque atmosphere, um, sort of ludic festival kind of thing. Uh, um, and there was something basically like gr- grimly playful about it. Um, and I think, um, so that was an important characteristic of the band on this record. Unfortunately, the album art is a lot more boring. It's like a dude with a robot, a dude with a mohawk, but he's a robot and maybe he's God or something. (laughs) Um, but like, uh, but it's in the same style. Um, and on this record, I feel like musically they've really, really turned a corner in some interesting ways. Like, it used to be that I would always check out a new record because I found it interesting and sort of like cool. And maybe I'd listen through the whole record. Maybe I'd listen to a few songs and I'd be like, ha ha, yeah, to Inquisitor is cool, right? And I, it, it was so bludgeoning that it was sort of like uh, uh, diminishing returns over the course of a record. At this point, they have really opened up a lot of new territory in their sound, in part by making it even more, in part by sounding more like, quote-unquote, normal early 90s death metal, which suddenly opens up a huge range of rhythmic vocabularies. Yeah. Um, so what, what did you make of this record? This is a very interesting album. Uh I like it a lot, although like is a very strange word to use for music Mm -hmm. that makes me feel very miserable when I listen (laughs) to it. Um, This is part of like a rare breed of death metal bands that feel to me like intensely negative and nihilistic. And uh, the one I kept coming back to in my notes was Mortician. Not that Mm -hmm. The Inquisitor sounds anything like Mortician, but I get similar vibes of just like true like nihilist like arbitrary song construction mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the yes the riffs on this album aren't really riffs in the way that you would typically understand that um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what this is also really like is this is sort of like taking modern weird brutal death metal technique um, and that, but stepping away from the maximalist approach. So those sort of like crazy configurations, you know, that, that standard, like down picked 16th note, palm mute chug mm-hmm. riff in, uh, in a brutal death song, mm-hmm. um, that, that standard archetype, they'll like do that here, but with half as many notes and it'll just be like wandering chromatic trem. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get the the effect of one of these very nihilistic, brutal death bands, but deposited into sort of an old school death metal form, even though this would be like completely impossible to make in the era mm-hmm. of old school death metal because it's just mm-hmm. too weird. Mm-hmm. But that's what really strikes me is like how chromatic and how minimal and how kind of cold and removed this music is, which I think we read pretty differently based on your notes. Well, I would say it's, I would say they kind of go together. Like, I mean, like Mortician, right, is a Rorschach test. Yeah. Some people clearly think Mortician is the funnest band ever, mm-hmm. right? There was that compilation of pro WWF intros with Mortician riffs, right? Yeah. Um, it's, um, 
And I think the answer is like, it's both. Like, mm -hmm. you clearly sometimes listen to Mortician for fun, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mortician yeah. is definitely fun when it's... you're in the right mood. Yeah, I think the point about Day Acquisitor is I like that you hear that dimension of it. I, I, I always, I did always hear sort of the coldness and strangeness. That's the sort of like portally thing. Uh, um, but maybe my impression of it was so mediated by the album covers, which I just just gave me a chuckle that yeah. I, I I heard it in a different way. But I think that's fair because it's a very whole package band, well, right? I think the, um, the the other thing. And, that's like influencing mm -hmm. my take on it is mm -hmm. just because I assume I have way more experience with this just based mm -hmm. off our individual taste. This sounds a lot like the first couple deicide records, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which are going back very cold and alien and weird albums. Like before, yes. before, before deicide just started making, you know, fucking rock and roll for death metal guys. Deicide were weird and like way too aggressive and yet totally detached. In, in an interesting way. Yeah, I know what you mean. It is a really difficult production. It's almost industrial. Um, oh, yeah, it's super, super dry. It's got that 1992, like, dry, boxy, yeah. devoid yeah. of reverb sound, which I, I actually like a lot. I guess, you know, what I'm saying is, I think this is maybe just very well-rounded music that is, at the same time, two seemingly very opposite emotions. Yeah, um, I, I could go with and, that, yeah. You know, I mean... The Emperor EP is very serious, but viewed from another perspective, it's also hilarious and yeah. like very fun, right? Uh, um, this is um, this is something like that, although it's a different kind of serious, right? Mm -hmm. The seriousness here is cold, detached, mechanical. I totally their sense of chromaticism, I think, is something we'll come back to, is far more authentically chromatic. And authentically, like authentically atonal and yeah. uh, nasty than most modern death metal is, which has fallen into, we've talked about this before, right? It's fallen into certain approximations of scale. There are basically like death metal scales now that are heavily chromatic. And yeah. I remember back when we did, long ago, when we did that, um, <clears throat> when... You know, when I finally listened to the uh, Onward to Golgotha with you for that bonus episode, right? Like, you can immediately hear that Incantation are some sick fuck junkies, right? Yeah. In a way that is completely <laughs> unlike the people who've conventionalized that stuff and turned it... Like, Incantation isn't playing scales. Uh, They're barely playing notes half the time. Shit. Exactly. So yeah, you're going to uh, get a... Yeah. Well, what mm -hmm. you're saying, like, bears, like extra emphasis this is like harshly atonal it's not mm -hmm. unpleasant to listen to because it's mostly like really really low on the fretboard um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but these riffs are uh, like enmity level atonal mm -hmm, they, they, mm -hmm. you do not get pertinent melodic information out of it you know what this is like this is like some of those um really fast cellular moments on the Cephilic record we covered last year. Mm -hmm. These are played slower and not as technically, but the sort of like inarticulate, like spastic quality where mm -hmm. it's like riffs don't begin or end where they're supposed to. You get a lot of that on this record too, which is really cool. I, I really appreciate the idea here of like taking some of these like 
some of the the weirdest, most avant-garde, brutal death ideas, and then distilling them down into an old-school death metal mm-hmm. format, that mm-hmm. sounds like a real way forward for mainline death metal. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think one thing that links this to the next band is that these guys clearly listen to and appreciate... I mean, the next record, it's more obvious, but mm-hmm. these guys clearly take brutal death metal seriously and see it as a worthwhile part of the death metal tradition, and they see that there's an interesting connection between that and stuff that's fundamental for orthodox BM or the more sort of heavy deathy side of BM stuff like immolation, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting convergence. Um, yeah, so cool band. Do you want to get into the sample stone? Oh uh, yeah, we can do that. Take Unless you've got another, if you've got another overall take, go for it. No, I'll need to. I'll need to like hear it. I listened to this one like three times back mm-hmm. to back in prep, just because it's like mm-hmm. there is a weird thing where this album can kind of slide by, mm-hmm. but then I noticed that the parts that I kept coming back to were the parts that I had earmarked for samples and shit. So mm-hmm. I think I've, I think I've got my ideas pretty together now. Fair enough. I think I listened to this one more than more than the other one, so we'll it'll even out. All right, yeah. let's go. highlight in terms of like how the sound has evolved is first of all you can hear that the weight is way more on these uh really heavy mid-tempo sections that are sort of tom tom roll and double bass oriented sort of barreling into each other uh beginning of that sample you know you get the sort of you know that kind of just ominous tritone thing that's like that's morbid angel but morbid angel as heard by immolation Mm-hmm. I think, right? You can also hear that stuff on the first couple of Immolation records. Uh, 
And then the thing that's very immolation is that uh is that first really heavy sequence with the pinch harmonic, right? Everyone knows those tom rolls and pinch harmonics. That's like, you know, yeah, you know, Robert Vigna stuff. Yeah, that's the Bob yeah. Vigna special right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's that. But then we go into this really extended thing that I think you would probably connect to um, Brutal Death uh, 16th Chug Runs, but it's really slow, and it could almost just be an endless sludge riff. But it's constant. What? Oh, I was just going to. No, the, the back half of that sample mm-hmm. really connects very directly to suffocation. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. especially not just the riffing, but especially the drum performance, which is very precisely attempting to resemble Mike Smith on the early suffocation stuff. Like certain certain idioms of the way he's playing fills and stuff are like directly pulled from Effigy of the Forgotten. That makes sense. So, yeah, I think this is um, it is way more. Yes, this band strikes me as way more suffocation than when I last checked in with them. That part, I mean, and and then especially where it rolls out, that sort of proto-slamming thing mm-hmm. after it sort of... You, you get this metamorphosine, uh, dragging riff that's like different iterations of the same kind of... Uh, the same syncopated phrase over and over again. And then finally, yeah, we would just roll out on this like heavy suffocation beatdown. And then we get that thrash run out of it, which is a lot like over from under the excrement, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, so that that makes sense. I'm glad you heard the suffocation there too. So like they're sort of expanding out into the comprehensive, uh, full the, just the full variety of NYDM and I guess early Florida death metal as well. Yeah, and I mean those are kind of inextricably linked with one another anyway. With that whole Florida to New York pipeline we've talked about before, right. yeah, so many of those guys trading places over the years. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that it's. I think suffocation makes up a big part of this, and also uh, suffocation, especially their early stuff, is also very cold and remote in its own way. Um, and has that mechanical, almost industrial mm-hmm. feel at times. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. these seem to be guys that got inside of suffocation and didn't just pull away the musical technique, but kind of pulled the the whole vibe of the music and used that as a, a place to jump off of. Um, uh, something I wanted to say that I will get into with like the rest of my samples as well is regarding the riffing style on this record, um, I place a lot of emphasis on the idea of uh, bands doing longer, more elaborate riffs. Uh, Day Inquisitor does the exact opposite, but it's just as interesting. Most mm. of these riffs are so microcellular. These are like single measure phrases that just loop over and over again. Um, it, it, it never has an opportunity to settle into a groove. A- anything sort of approaching a groove that you hear is always sort of overly convoluted, um, deliberately antagonistic to the listener. It's it's a really interesting way to approach this. It, it, as over the years, death metal has sort of softened its edges. I, I like hearing the <laughs> I like hearing the animosity and the contempt that fuels this. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so actually, although I would, I would argue that they still kind of are grooves, 
I mean, yeah, they're they're grooves in the death metal sense, but it's like they're not danceable in the way that a slam riff. Is. Yeah, they're not listener friendly. Like that 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 big lurching thing that was kind of like a slam or whatever, right? You can sort of thrash to it, but it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have like mosh cues or dance cues, or it's it's not user friendly. Yeah, it's it's deliberately difficult in its construction in the yeah. way that you know, like early tech death bands were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let me go. And, to- and and yeah, I get you also on the sadism. Like they're just really vicious figures. They're just not. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah, it's it's all deliberately unpleasant. The riffs are not designed to really communicate meaning in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gestural, but in like the right way, which is to create you know, negative space, even though it's very dense. Um, So I want to go to a track called Reflected by the Void. Um, And this is where we'll really get into the whole, like, animosity to the listener thing. So we're going to go to the back half of the song. The first couple minutes are all tension building. Uh, It's like almost a shepherd's tone of riffs that keep starting to move up the fretboard, uh, you know, progressing towards a point of, like, maximal mm-hmm. intensity. Mm-hmm. And then here is... Here's the back half of the song where we get to what Day Inquisitor considers the payoff. So that scans as like a, 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 a deliberate like frustration, yeah. Because I, the song doesn't like have a it doesn't have a climactic moment. It just sort of wheezes at the end into this like droning kind of doom riff. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, if, very doom. If yeah. you pay attention, except for one little fill in the middle of that section the drummer never touches his snare and if he doesn't touch his snare that means it never really starts you know <laughs> like in, uh, in, i know in, what you mean yeah, in yeah death yeah. metal language I, I know i know exactly what you mean so 
that was fascinating the first time I heard that. There's all kinds of like it's weird... it's like immolation roll technique being used for a kind of infinite sus- suspension. Yeah, yeah, it's everything is completely suspended, and that's kind of the feeling that I get off most of these songs. These songs feel like just fragments of things suspended in time. They're not. It feel a lot of these songs begin and end in ways where it feels like there could have been another 10 minutes on either side of them. Um, They're these very compact death metal songs, but it never feels like you're getting a complete picture of what's going on, which is a very kind of portal-y thing to do. I think these guys are not, it's not just brutal death metal, but I think portal and the other related like early disso death stuff is Mm -hmm. probably a big influence here. That part really sounded like antediluvian. Yeah, that sounded like antediluvian. It sounded like slow parts of grave upheaval. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. So, but that was like, this was the first moment on the album that really caught my ear. And I was like, that's a really weird antagonistic thing to do to your audience. And I think that's really cool. Um, I think this I don't, is, I, keep going. I was just going to say, I think this is like secretly conspicuously arty music. Yeah, I think this may be, I think this may be a band that started out as sort of like, okay, well, we've done some very serious black metal. Now let's just have, let's have some fun. Let's play some really loud death metal. And then, oh, because they're really creative, interesting dudes. They come up with this entire, you know, fantasy universe concept, sci-fi fantasy concept for it that they don't tout around as a big deal, right? They just actually create this whole imagined space for it and the music acquires a very distinct idea-driven character but it becomes more and more serious as time goes on and this is a very serious record i think yeah um and and then even before we get to that big ending riff you can hear mm-hmm. that this is dotted with just so many odd guitar ideas there's that strange little like almost black metal micro riff they play that dun dun bah dun dun bah you know, mm-hmm. that very strange chord phrasing that just sort of like emerges out of nowhere, grooves in its own little space and then just gets tossed aside. Uh, you know, there <laughs> it's I I love how arbitrary some of these songs feel. Yeah. It's the, like the there's, riff- a, there's a lot of work being spent to convince you that they don't give a shit when they clearly give every shit in the world about how these are made. The riff at the end, um, I think, you know, with the. It sounds actually Lovecraftian. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, people forget that, you know, like, Shoggoths aren't cool. Yeah. They're, like, te- they're, like, like, they're terrifying in the sense that there is sort of, like, senseless, senseless gelatinous abominations that, as you say, kind of, they're big, weird, slow, they kind of wheeze and gurgle along it's big it takes up space it just floats along going nowhere and accomplishing nothing that's literally what you wrote in your notes yeah right (laughs) that's exactly a lot it's not every lovecraft entity but it's a lot of them is the whole point right or like azathoth the blind idiot god yeah, um, the, the Shogoth. The Shogoth is bad for you, but it doesn't give a shit. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's the whole thing that's disturbing about it. It's, it's just, like it's, it's just its presence fucks you up. It's just not to meant not meant to exist in the same reality as you. Exact, exactly. Um, it's it's so uh, yeah, yeah. Something that silly killing you is horrifying. Yeah. Um, uh, and and so that that riff is very much like that. Um, uh. 
but yeah, so I want to show another side here is like, so that part is definitely contemptuous of the listener. I, I completely hear what you mean. And it's, it's, um, it's definitely fucking with your expectations and, uh, and, and using that to get to a very interesting place. But, um, I think sometimes this is just very strange, very engaging, high-intensity body music. Mm-hmm. Just not, like, just in this bizarre kind of slant-wise way that, uh, I, 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 that isn't inconsistent because it's about really, really strange sort of contorted or violent shapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and time ideas. So, uh, um, so, I mean, one cool thing is a lot of the, the, the heavy, the action on this record often comes from the way that riffs evolve at their own will. Mm-hmm. Riffs, there's no, the riffs are not confined by any architectural plan for a song. The song is made out of these sort of, uh, fragments and slithers that sort of decide find a direction and go uh and so here's a good example um uh this is here they very deliberately get stuck on an idea it sounds like it's an inter like a passing phrase an interstitial thing like they're getting to another riff or it's part of a riff as you would say like very very gestural like micro motif not even arguably like if you just played it on its own it's not even a motif right uh and that they by by sheer force of will they make it into the main idea so this is auto sarcophagy It's just it's just another take on how my sample ended, basically. Yeah, that's a good point. It is exactly the same songwriting technique. 
Yeah. That's a, it just drones out. Except that you can headbang to this part. Yeah. And it's really heavy. Um, it, it's like uh, the other part refuses to headbang. This part is like either you like to headbang or I, I don't know what else what we've got for you, man. Like yeah. it's, it's um, uh, right? The riff hijacks the song. Right, da 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 da, and they have several variations on that. Um, and what I maybe it's just on the brain, um, because I've been listening to some a lot more D beat again lately for some reason. Um, but uh, I mean, I think the gold standard for riffs like that is discharge. Uh, and certainly like you know for how they emerge in death, how a bunch of the early death metal riffs, it's a a this. Right, a discharge, a classic discharge riff in the vein of those first, the EP and the full length, before Crust Band started, you know, doing various things with it and picking up more metal influence. It's just morbidly atonal nonsense repeated until you have to buy in. It's a complete, despite the anarchy thing, it's a completely authoritarian approach to riffing. Um, <laughs> And it's, uh, and, and it's just like, uh, you know, um, uh, it, yeah, yeah, it's, it, the, the riff there is so, um, even note wise, it's basically a discharge riff. So I like that one was da, 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 right. That's just like a whole step below the root, a half step over it and the root. The rhythm is completely different, right? The accents are in really weird places that sort of work as an odd lurching death metal beat down, but not, you know, not as a not as a syncopated hardcore riff. But um, it, it it's it's kind of the same the the same basic idea, which means it's getting back to the very roots of death metal. Um, Apophis works in the same way. That's the most musical track on the record. Mm -hmm. It has a death metal version of the G beat. That is the Graveland beat. It has uh, it has scales. Um, it even has kind of like a neoclassical melody, a little more black metal-y. Um, but it's still... Uh, <laughs> but it uses all of that to launch another nonsense riff. Or really, it's all built out of another nonsense riff. And that one is built out of exactly the same notes or almost the same notes as the last one, except this gets like root, minor, third, half step, half step down, root, minor step, half step down, and just rests on the half step in a really weird way. Um, and, you know, if the highest goal of death metal is to be just sort of attain this like mechanized or lumbering flesh hulk in humanity, right, uh, that is also somehow heavy and engaging, and to do it, in this, uh, with a level of dissonance that's completely noise, not music, then in in this sense, like, like this is a perfect death metal record. Yeah. Uh, definitely, if, if we're operating off that conceit as being fundamental, yeah, this pretty much checks all the boxes. I had a weird comparison that's kind of out of left field uh, re regarding that sort of, like, looping angular discharge riff. Mm-hmm. It also reminds me of some shit you would hear off of, like, some of the earliest Meshuggah stuff. 
Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because we, we have to remember that, like, the first Meshuga record, the first full-length Contradictions Collapse, is, like, really coming from a background of more traditional death and thrash metal um, that they've inserted all this sort of mathy, angular stuff into. So you'll have riffs that sound like weird mechanical versions of things that would otherwise be death or thrash riffs. Mm. And then what it especially sounds like um, is actually, it's not even Meshuggah. It's, uh, have you ever heard um, uh, Frederick Thorndahl's Special Defects, his side project? No. Yeah, so uh, Frederick Thorndahl, the, uh, one of the main guitarists for Meshuggah, I think just did one or two albums uh that was basically there were instrumental records with him on guitar and a buddy on drums. And they were just truly the most bizarre and angular parts of Meshuggah driven even further. So, you know, you'll have these uh, bizarre, very strangely timed chug riffs against like weird, chilled out, like side stick drumming. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it would get loud and it would get soft, but it would still keep that weird geometric quality the whole time. This reminds me a lot of that specifically, mm-hmm. which is a very strange point of comparison, I know. But that you might be interested now that you've gotten more into like weird technical long hair stuff. I think you would appreciate just the bizarre, stark minimalism of, of those records. Maybe like a more engaging version of Krieg's Machine. Possibly. Yeah, it's it's it really it's more like a. It's more like proto orth realm or something. So those hmm. really fucking out there kind of tech metal things. Yeah, well, I should really listen to the earliest Meshuga stuff again. I mean, you know, for yeah, yeah, for me, for, for me, they were um, they were one of those bands that you know I knew as one of the heaviest things ever in like eighth or ninth grade from my friends who were really into Slipknot mm-hmm. and sort of like went beyond a, a bit beyond that or whatever. But like. I never really... They, it was so much like new Metal that once I started getting into, like, hardcore and stuff, I just had dropped my interest in that. Which, of course, as always, you know, teenager music logic is is kind of stupid. Right? <laughs> no, I you think... No, but, At uh, the same time, right, I'm listening to, like, ISIS, early ISIS, yeah, which is yeah. very heavy, but also very heavy in a way that's, like, like Meshuggah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Meshuggah, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people had that experience with them. I mean, Meshuggah is a great band that bridged people between new metal and extreme metal. And the value of something like that can't be overstated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I remember trying to convince my parents to buy me uh, to buy me the one with the uh, distorted, burning, screaming face on the front. That's nothing, uh, and that's my nothing. favorite Meshuggah record. <laughs> yes, I try. I think I tried to convince my parents to buy me nothing, and they were just like, "Ha ha, that's not funny." Uh, nothing fucking rules. It is the yeah. heaviest thing that has ever been made by man. Like <laughs> it's so cool. Anyway, uh, so my last sample. I want to go to the self-titled track, "Day Inquisitor." Uh, which is always an ambitious thing when you do your your self-titled song. Um, So here we're going to get into really microcellular territory. Um, This this one in particular is hyper-angular. This really brings the suffocation to the forefront. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's also something that I would compare this to, although uh, very different in execution, would be the Apertiva Rock Tadhara record that we liked mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. much last year, in that mm-hmm. it's completely geometric, almost completely arbitrary. With with Apertiva, you can hear 
the outline of something very fucking creepy and mysterious, like through mm-hmm, those rifts, mm-hmm. like you're mm-hmm. like you're just getting a contour drawing of the silhouette of this giant monster. Mm-hmm. And Day Inquisitor riffs are just the idea of the giant monster going nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Before we finish, we were talking about how that is mm-hmm. like a very clear, like proto slam suffocation thing. Uh, and again, going back to the Mike Smith thing, um, I feel like Mike Smith really invented that technique of okay, mid paced chromatic palm muted riff. What does the drummer do? Kind of slow rock beat, but he's throwing in those double kick flurries periodically, usually like mm-hmm. at it, it, at weird spacing with relation to mm-hmm. one another, not really connecting to anything in the riff, but it just increases the rhythmic density. And like that's the origin of like 80% of slam technique right there are those ideas. And um, is that is that technically, is the word for that flam? Is that right? Or is fl- it like... A flam is... is Specifically, a flam refers to just two strokes. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, you could call it you could call it a drag. A drag would be three strokes, but those mm-hmm. are usually only used for um, like stuff on the snare. You wouldn't you so you're basically correct, but you would never hear it referred to like that. Uh, ah, okay. Drumming. So, it, I I just call them like little flurries or trills or something. There's not really a specific term. For uh, okay, it. yeah, because that's very important. Also, immolation does that, but in more continuous rolling bass figures, there will be one of those, one of those trills or rolls, and then it just like locks back into the main groove or something. Mm-hmm. But here they're being done in this disjoint kind of uh, brutal punctuation way. Yeah, suffocation mm-hmm. kind of invented that, and then dying fetus really pioneered that as well. So. I think that, I mean, honestly, one of the things that makes this 
this record so weird is probably just the fact that they sound like guys that listen to mostly death metal, you know, as opposed to like pulling shit from everywhere else. Like the vast majority of this is just locked into traditional mm-hmm. death metal techniques mm-hmm. that have kind of been forgotten over the years. That is very, that makes a lot of sense and is very cool. Yes, this is very true death metal. Uh, um, it, you know, yeah. What, anything else? I mean, oh yeah, the first riff on that sample. Uh, well, oh yeah, first, the Apartiva thing, right on. Everything from the thrash riff on. You know, that that was totally, you could change the tonality on that, and that could be on the Apartiva record. But um, that first riff at the beginning of the sample is just like a rain and blood riff played backwards, right? Like, these guys actually played the record backwards.
All right, we are back from a quick discussion about bizarre internet thinkers to uh, come back with a really interesting record coming from, of course, our buddies at Hessian Firm. Uh, this is the debut full-length by Apocatostasis. Uh, I don't know. Do you know how to pronounce that better? Or? Yeah, it sounds sounds about right. Yeah. Apocatostasis. You got all this. It's it's just it's syllables, man. You got the syllables. Yeah, I, I just sound it out. I put my finger under the word. I stick my tongue yeah. out of my mouth a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. And this is an album. Uh, called- actually, in the Greek, it's uh, a <laughs> uh, yeah. katastasis. Fucked. Yeah. Mm. Um, all right, and uh, the record is called "The Consecratory Secretion." Uh, as I said, out on Hessian Firm. Um, so, just hearing that it's on Hessian Firm, you might have a certain expectation of what this is, and you're kind of right, but mm-hmm. it's also kind of different. So, this band, uh, this one-man project, actually pitches itself as brutal death plus black metal, which is, one, an interesting idea, just on the face, and two, something that has been explored before in, uh, in fits and starts. Um, there's been various attempts over the years to execute a fusion of those styles, and for the most part, they didn't work out. Not through any lack of talent, really, on the people attempting it, but just because these are styles that are after such radically different things, um, mm-hmm. it, it just it's hard to make them gel. I mean, I love both those things, but I, there haven't been a lot of instances where it's really worked out. And what's also interesting is that the way this fusion's been attempted has been in essentially the same way every time, which is black metal melodic ideas and, like, riffing motifs and brutal death rhythmic ideas and the the abruptly contrasting structures of brutal death. So uh, typically you'll find stuff arrayed in kind of a checkerboard pattern with, like, distinct black metal part, distinct brutal death part, mm-hmm. etc. Um so the question has always been, how do we square the circle and how do we get these things to interact more within an album? You yeah. could argue that the most successful attempt of it was maybe not intentional and did the complete opposite, which was induced, right? <laughs> which is melodic, melodic timbral and structural ideas applied to brutal death metal melodic ideas. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, very... There's been a few different ways around it. And we're starting to see... This weird mm-hmm. wave of, well, it's a wave that's always kind of secretly existed with some of our favorite mm-hmm. bands, but we're starting to see a lot more brutal death guys playing black metal, but they're not trying to combine I, those. Yeah. I guess another thing might be a partiva, which basically is black metal, even though it's completely composed as death metal, and the death metal clearly has a ton to do with brutal death. Yeah, but I, it's I, I, but it's very different from fusing a brutal death proper with black metal. Yeah, Apartiva is, sim- it's not a 50-50 mixture, it is simultaneously 100% death metal and 100% black metal. Um, yes, yes, But, yeah, but that's yeah. that's a once-in-a-generation thing you get, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that just doesn't mm-hmm. fucking happen mm-hmm. normally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the most successful takes on this idea is what I think is the primary influence to this record, uh, which is a band from Texas called Crimson Massacre. Are you familiar with them? No, I think I heard about them. I mean, one cool thing that bands can do is alert you to the existence of older bands. So I had never heard about that until this review. Yeah, so Crimson Massacre had some heat behind them. They did two records. Nobody's heard the first one. 
uh, because it was like a CDR release. The second one came out on Deathgasm Records in 2005. It was called The Luster of Pandemonium, and it's a long, highly technical, very elaborate death metal record that is heavily informed by both brutal death and black metal. Um, and I actually, to kind of prime us, want to play a sample from that band because I think that it's essential to this band. Uh, Crimson Massacre would also be known as, like, they were one of the few nowadays bands that was really respected by the, uh, the Anus and uh, Dark Legions guys back then. This was, like, one of mm-hmm. the good surviving bands to them. So let's listen to a little snippet of a, off a song called Epic, and I think you'll immediately hear the similarity in uh, what A Pocket of Stasis is also going for. After hearing that, and especially after you see both the album covers side by side, it seems pretty <laughs> clear that that's primary to this band, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think I want to point out about that musically. Um, there was maybe... Uh, maybe I'm forgetting some parts off the Apocatastasis, but something that really struck me was that that second riff... On, on Epoch. Mm-hmm. The first riff was basically like sped up metalcore, even mm-hmm. the vocals there. I mean, which was, I mean, it's cool. But the second riff, um, the second riff was very much just a, a black metal riff. But all of the, its melodic shape was only possible because of brutal death rhythmic ideas. It was this very weird, invol- convoluted kind of, um, uh, strangely looping rhythm to it uh Mm -hmm. and that was a very good you know i mean i think a theme will be often placing these things side by side that was a very good example of them being not placed side by side Mm -hmm. yeah and being really done together Mm. yeah crimson massacre were really good at that i mean they were probably just they had the potential to be huge uh i'm guessing they kind of got sidelined just by like not having great production it sounds kind of you know rehearsal room 
Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they were a really cool band, and it's but it's it, they're a band that's been kind of forgotten. They were like super hot around when we were getting into metal, and then they never really did a follow up and just kind of fell apart. Um, so now, a pocket of stasis. Uh, Apocalypse is a band doing something kind of similar to what Crimson Massacre is attempting, especially in the the sort of like neoclassical song construction that Crimson Massacre is also going for. But the differentiating feature is that Brutal Death Metal has changed completely since that mm-hmm. Crimson Massacre record uh, was released. Now we have a record that is like fully informed by like modern Brutal Death Metal technique and even slam here and there. Mm-hmm. Um so, so how does it end up? Well, it ends up being, like, a pretty good fucking record, actually. Uh, it's extremely ambitious. It is uh, very technical. The songwriting is very elaborate. And the moment-to-moment riffing is really cool, too. The thing for me, though, is that this is, I would say, one of the most successful combinations of Brutal Death and Black Metal that I've heard before. However, the asterisk on that statement is what it mostly ends up sounding like is a particularly extreme and modern take on Swedish Black Death stuff like Dawn or Sacramentum, to my ear. Um, Certainly extended and made more convoluted by the Brutal Death essence, but the most of this most of this record doesn't really sound like Brutal Death, and when it does step directly into Brutal Death territory, it's very cool, and this guy's very capable of making it, but they tend to sound like sort of isolated islands within the songs um this is this isn't to come as like backhanded but i feel like the the fundamental strength of this guy as a musician is just writing excellent melodic black death songs and the brutal death that is employed is cool but i don't know how much it adds to the the fundamental package yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. It's certainly interesting to hear. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say the fusion is very successful. There's no moment where you're like, the moments where you hear some abrupt, um, where there's a disjunctive aspect to it, are like kind of cool and entertaining. It's mm-hmm. like, whoa, there's the... They're very deliberate. There's the brutal death part. And at moments, he really commits to the brutal death part. I mean, the last, in ways that are unexpected. I mean, on the last track... Or the track right before, there's a dubstep drop, yeah. or like a like like a slam, a slam. Yeah, there's blub. like a sub drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really commits to that and to the most exaggerated, insane aspects of ornate uh, aristocratic black metal. Um, but like, so I think it's successful. But I agree. I think I get what you mean. The brutal death is there's a fully fledged. Um, uh, ambitious Black Death record that is w- trapped in this chrysalis. Mm-hmm. Like, the conceit of making it also Brutal Death, I think, is holding it back a bit. Part of that might be an issue of the... Uh, um, the Just the production, the timbre mm-hmm. here, right? Um, although it gets very heavy over the course of the record... It's because you get more brutal death parts, which access the kind of heaviness that this sort of production allows. This is mecha death production, right? It's that sort of deliberately sterile sound that you get in some brutal death and a lot of tech death. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes it less organic and less, it only gets heavy when you're doing like 
you know, just like slams and shit. Uh, and that does kind of, it can sort of um, hold back the impact of some of the more serious neoclassical stuff on this record, right? Yeah, it's, um, there, there are natural limitations of like one-man project home recording um, mm-hmm. that we're seeing here. And really, that's like, that's not even that much of a criticism because I, I think that... I think there's a direct relationship between the complexity of music and the level of production that you need. I mean, there's exceptions to everything, but as things become more grandiose and complex, I think they necessitate better production because there's more going on. So really, this project is limited not because it's like a bad production, but because it's not as good as this music requires it to be to get the full effect across. I I get what you mean, and I think if he wrote a more straightforward black metal record, or whatever it is, I mean, technically it's not black metal because this is Catholic, but uh, if he wrote a more straightforward record in that style, um, you know, I don't know, um, aristocratic svensk metal, um, Uh, he would be, uh, you could give it a worse production. Basically, you could give it a more powerful production that would be raw, raw and cheaper to Mm. do than, than this production. It would sound better and be easier to do. Uh, yeah, to really effectively coordinate all of these tonalities in sonic space would require a big studio. I I think that's a very good point. Um, Um, In short, um, I think what we're both saying is that, like, this is a review that will sound more critical than it intends to because we think this guy's working with really cool raw material. And now it's because it's so difficult, it's a process of iterating on it and, like, (laughs) getting to where it it really wants to be. I think that's a thing about the Hessian Firm's brand, basically, is for almost all of these bands, there's an astonishing level of completeness to what comes out the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I should flag. He is really good at the neoclassical guitar playing and composition. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, uh, You can tell he's directly tapped into its influences, not just the, you know, um, he... Uh, he, he understands what Nicolas Cage understands, that, you know, a certain kind of very serious black metal uh, is uh, accesses, um, accesses classical music directly as part of a broader, it's, it's broader uh, origin in the European musical tradition. Uh, and this is, um, this is a guy who has the chops to do it. Um, I think the other thing we should flag is this is in the same way that... Um, you know, wait, I'm, I'm going to do a uh, Reverum et Malacht, right? Is mm-hmm. is Catholic, but pretty much fits within the broader black metal ecosystem today. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a similar thing going on. Um, and part of that is the interest in classical music seems to gravitate towards like liturgical music. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about like, you know, I don't know, like, like, um, you know, like a Bach Requiem. Right mm-hmm. or like, uh, or uh, a lot of them, some of the most powerful Baroque music or Handel's Messiah or whatever. Right, uh, a lot of these things were explicitly Christian, mm-hmm. right, and they became sources for like black metal respects them on a musical level, right, and as like you know sort of a mighty high culture and gives it a different meaning. Uh, you know, either inverts or, in the more sophisticated cases, just sort of transforms the meaning of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
And this guy, in a sense, is just sort of uh, running that process backwards. He's like, okay, can we just play this kind of high-energy guitar music as serious Christian liturgical music? Yeah. Um, it's a very dramatic record. It has a clearly paced plot. Uh, much like Christian eschatology, it has a very end-directed plot. Um, <laughs> and you could really think of it as a death metal version of an oratorio that is like a religious opera. There's like different voices, different parts. There's not like actors on a stage. But this guy has clearly very serious musical ambitions that are related to the theological ambitions. Uh, and I think, irrespective of our complaints about the style, he really pulls that off. And I think if you want to make this lofty, grand, soaring, modern, um, uh, fire and brimstone apocalypse music, you can just uh, let the angel of death fly free of the brutal death metal. Yeah. So, with that, let's listen to it. Um, I'm going to go first to a track called Subject of Retribution. Um, mm -hmm. And really, the, this is just a good uh, defining uh, sample for the record. Um, there's some really great riff sequencing and pacing here. There's a wonderful sort of call and response part between a, a brutal death part and a more melodic part where the high contrast really heightens both. It's almost like a Lycathia flame technique with micro mm -hmm. riffs trading back and forth. And then it spills into a really awesome melodic sequence that culminates in a big solo that he actually nails. Yeah, that is uh, very sick, and I would say that the majority, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> the majority of that would fit in without question on you know uh, far away from the sun. Mm -hmm. it, it's like it, like it, you can see a direct link between this and 
like our favorite stuff from that era. It's like, you know, people always talk about dissection. I was never really that into that. But Sacramentum is basically what I wish dissection yeah. was. So yeah, I think we... Yeah, so that works really well. And the brutal death used in that moment as this sort of high contrast thing is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's like it could be a lot of things, like a little interrupter there, but mm-hmm. it being brutal death is unique and pretty neat. Like originally I had questions of like, is the brutal death really adding anything there? Well, I mean, maybe not specifically in the sense of being brutal death, but that's a, a cool thing to do. You know, you're going to interrupt it with something high contrast. Why not it be like an almost slam riff? I think it's pretty neat. There's also chromaticisms being thrown into the uh, blast riffs, the trem riffs, that are, eh, they're not exactly, they'd be weird in black metal. They're clearly coming from brutal death metal here. Um, mm-hmm. Or they'd be weird in this kind of black metal, especially. Right? Oh, I definitely, uh, I love the idea of doing highly melodic music with a just way too aggressive like drum presence and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, listening to some of these newer bands where it's Brutal Death guys playing black metal and they're throwing, like, gravity blasts on mm-hmm. melodic riffs, that's awesome. More of that all yeah. fucking day. Yeah. So I think probably for this also, um, like, some of the more sprawling melodies on this have something in common with Dawn on Slaughter Sun, but mm-hmm. I think for them, probably more relevant is Ner Solengar Nither for Evolver, mm-hmm. or whatever, which is the first one, Dawn record, which is a lot more death metal-y, uh, sort of more spiky melodies, and just way more uh, faster and more going on. Um, uh, and also that, you know, sentenced north from here, right? The, uh, mm-hmm. the, 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 the death metal underground favorite, uh, also, I think quite big on some of the stranger, uh, the stranger epic sequences. Yeah, it's um, it's hard to tell because I'm thinking this is a younger guy, so I don't really know what his background is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways to get to some of these melodic ideas, mm-hmm. but they definitely are very close to that traditional early to mid '90s style, which is really interesting. And I think the idea of doing that style, but with the even more aggressive musical technology that we have available today mm-hmm. is just a great conceit in and of itself. Yeah, and you can do that without some of the more brutal death trappings, mm-hmm. right? It's like the kind of rhythmic complex, the indirect, I think maybe something we've grown is like indirect brutal death influence in this context is really good. Yeah, yeah. And it's something he should keep. Uh, so, um... Next one, uh, I'll focus on some more black metal-y parts. Uh, so here's D-Blooded. Uh, this is on sort of like you could call the turning point of the record. It's the middle middle of it. Um, we start in a slam. Uh, and then we get some blasting. Uh, and then we get some weird shit.
<laughs> yeah. I got I okay, so one cool thing this record does is just I I am not a novelty seeker by nature, but there is something to doing a combination of tones that have never been done before. And the chiming haunting synths, the slam riff and the pig vocals together mm-hmm. are not something I have ever heard combined before. Really? I, there there hasn't been like a deathcore band that's done like is that like Lorna would Lorna Shore do that? No, Lorna Shore would would use a black metal riff from 2007, and then there would be a an infant annihilator breakdown at one point. Oh god, um, yeah, yeah. There's like a version. There's always a version of those black and deathcore bands that's cool. It's just never the actual thing. Yeah, the the, the idea. It, it was it was the first Abigail Williams EP, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or like bleeding through. Yeah, which yeah. technically is not deathcore. Oh, but anyway, god. so this passage, yeah, that is really weird. I thought about sampling this part myself. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so so a couple things to highlight. There's actually a lot to talk about in relation to the Day Acquisitor. So first is the overall. Um, yeah, so first, there's also a big immolation thing here. If you take brutal death metal and you take the loftiest neoclassical black metal and you sort of look for what is kind of at the midpoint of those, you'd get immolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the blasting riff at the beginning is wonderful. That's a very powerful, grim, and totally uniquely textured blast riff in the style of the most black metal parts of Immolation. Mm-hmm. Like, we got a lot of on the new record by them from yeah. last year. Uh, and th- that's awesome. I mean, you know, it's almost like I've never heard anyone else do that. Um, then we get, it sort of like breaks itself down into this eerie skronk arpeggio with some dense cording behind it. And... You think it's gonna, like with De Acquisitor, you think that's a passing phrase. Like we're metamorphosing and going on to the next riff or something. But like De Acquisitor, this guy knows when he's got something really horrible. Um, And it's like a chord combination, a dense chord cluster that's both very melodically rich and horribly dissonant. Um... And as with Day Quizzer, it's like, okay, this is the main riff now. Um, and so uh, he he lets that blossom into this extending kind of orthodox rolling 6-8 spooky arpeggio passage. But unlike almost all of those in orthodox BM, there's really something going on harmonically and melodically. Yeah. Uh, in part, the grind of the cording against the arpeggios. Uh, this is a part that is very, even the blasting part also, it's all very sentenced. Mm-hmm. Um, this mode of just sort of uh, extreme scronk that is basically totally informed by an ear for classical melody. Uh it's like the dissonant intervals are moving in jagged parallel to melodic phrases that we're not hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very North from here thing, even though the guitar interplay too. Uh, yeah, he's like he's got a real ear for doing very strange, very interesting two-channel guitar stuff. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is coming from Modern Brutal Death. Like, some of the weird shit you would hear from Defeated Sanity, you know, where, uh-huh, uh-huh. where it's, like, it's fucking with your sense of timing because, like, mm-hmm. the two guitars are playing at, like, such weird angles to each other. I think mm-hmm, that's really mm-hmm. cool. 
I definitely hear that there. Yeah, it's like, wait, where's the measure start again? Mm-hmm. Like, or where's the riff start again? Right. And it's like, the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that part really good. Uh, and I, it's kind of a turning point for the record. I feel like there's tons of good passages like the one you highlighted at the beginning of the record. Mm-hmm. But it's really about here where the record acquires a... Um, a terrible conviction. I'd agree. I think that this is I think this is one of those records where the track listing is how these things were written in order. Um mm, because by, interesting. by the end of the record it feels much more comfortable with the interplay of all of its elements. Like the first few songs have lots of really great like riff and melody moments, but everything mm-hmm. starts to really congeal around the midpoint and the structural stuff really starts to take over as like the primary creative impetus here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we can, uh, I think you got the next one also. Oh, I've got the next one too. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, I think part of the thing is like, I, I, yeah, he's focused all of his writing energy in the last half of the record. I guess that goes with what you're saying. They're written later. They're more mature and it goes with the apocalyptic theme, mm-hmm. right? He's like, he knows the record has to build and he has to rely on his baseline capacity for writing great riffs to get us through the first half, Yeah, right? Like these are going to be just the like sort of grab bag songs. And then we get to the the more, the sweet at the end. Um, speaking of a suite of songs on the back end of a record, we could also talk about... Um, the most satanic black metal record ever made, which is probably and probably my pick for the best, at least in the North strict North style, which is uh, Gorgoroth's Under the Sign of Hell. Um, and uh, that record, I think it actually has a very clear overarching plot. Now that I've thought of the whole thing, um, uh, track one, you get Revelation of Doom, Prophecy, you get Krieg, right? War. There's a funeral, and then we get sort of uh. I think it goes directly to funeral procession right it's uh and then well you don't know that album as well let me double check uh um uh yeah direct to funeral procession then we get prophetens oppenbaring rise of the prophet uh there's an interlude and then the entire the last four tracks are just satanic blood ritual like very clearly plotted in a really focused way whereas the first few tracks work standalone um, I think this record is structured like that, and I think this song in particular sounds a lot like Prophetens Oppenbaren in that both of them are drawing on Baroque Baroque music. Um, so let's go to uh, Angel of Gore, part one.
I like the riff. <laughs> you like the big jangly folk one, right? Yeah. But it's also a rolling bass on organ Baroque fugue kind of thing. Oh, yeah, I played yeah. I played Prophet and Zappenbaren for one of my good college buddies who was a music major. And he was just like, oh, that's Bach. Oh, um, okay. Which was really interesting to hear and kind of validating that, like, oh, this guy totally, like, the band actually pulls it off to his standards. It, it sounds like, um, it, I, I don't know what it is, but it does sound like directly referential to a specific composition. Yeah. This, like, yeah, like Infernus and a, a, you know, the guys from Dawn and a few other of those bands back then, this guy really has an ear for actual Baroque classical romantic music. Uh, well, this, which is, this, is, this yeah. whole record sounds genuinely neoclassical in a way yes. that the you know the the sweet picking scale yeah. run bands don't. Yes, if you're just knocking off Sacramento songs, you're not getting it. Um, uh, so the um, or if you're just knocking off Dawn songs, you're not getting it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So okay, quick side by side comparison to the beginning, just so you know, I'm not crazy. Uh, beginning of Prophet and Zappenbaren, uh, Rise of the Prophet. Um, this part's great. Also, yeah, also, uh, amazing vocals. same picture yep yeah yeah also that the 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 quiet riff and like the atmospheric intro Mm -hmm. that's like a fucking mcglaw riff or something that's weird because that's not what they come in with it's a separate melody entirely i hear that yeah it's a very yeah very brooding i mean these at their peak these guys were just so creative Mm -hmm. right like uh, yeah like a firing on all cylinders yeah, a side note from like a, a a diversionary side note from Gorgoroth just is a mig- just invents Miglov or whatever, <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, so yes, you can hear the exact structural similarities, uh, the similar neoclassical feel, um, Baroque feel specifically, um, and you know that sort of stuff. Um, I think legitimates this guy's bid to be making modern brutal liturgical music. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's that's. That's my take. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so my last sample is actually going to be from Angel of Gore Part 2. Um, the back half of this record, it's not only that the style coalesces more, it's that the brutal death gets more firmly incorporated into the texture of the music. Um, and it produces really interesting results. Uh, so this song is structured in a way where the first half is like very brutal death metal and then it kind of spills into something more atmospheric. So let's just give it a listen and think again about the idea of like where does the brutal death fit in uh, in this project's like greater ideal. Mm-hmm.
You know, it's it, it's funny. It's like it's it's almost mirroring that Day Inquisitor song where it ends on that sort of fading doom riff. Just in this mm-hmm. case, it's pulled more directly from. I was I, I thought incantation originally, but it's actually more like autopsy. That's like a very autopsy kind of riff. It has that weird bluesy inflection to it. Mm. That's mm. like autopsy circa mental fu- mental funeral would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really interesting. And originally, the question I was going to pose was, you know, if all of that's very cool, but if where we're ending up at is something more like incantation or autopsy. Are we not just kind of using the brutal death as like a glue between all these other elements? But upon listening to that again, it 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 works. Um, and I think maybe I th- I still have like a hint of reservation about the idea of the genre combination here. But I think this guy's talented enough to find his way to it in its complete form on the next record or the one after that. I think this guy's chasing something that could work better than this combination has ever, like, actually worked before. But I I think it's still in a gestational phase. And if it's this good now, I imagine the next one is going to be, like, not just great, but important musically. Let me call the, uh, the 